This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. This is the Informer Daily for Thursday, the 28th of May, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, we're continuing our discussion with Justin O'Connor from the University of South Australia about creative industries policy and what Australia needs to do to ensure that our cultural exports continue. And we also talk about why Australia has been punching above its weight in the entertainment and creative industries for more than a century. And we've got your weekend entertainment update with Frock Hudson. But first, this bulletin. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for Thursday the 28th of May. A blueprint on how to safely reopen their shared international border will be given to the Australian and New Zealand governments as early as next week. A group of experts, officials and industry representatives are behind developing the plan, with the goal being to have a clear path to safe travel. Although this report will be ready soon... Neither the Australian nor New Zealand governments have indicated a timeline for the resumption of travel. South Australian authorities are claiming their Victorian counterparts didn't warn them of a potentially infected woman arriving in the state. The woman proceeded to test positive after being tested in South Australia. The woman had travelled from the United Kingdom to Melbourne and got a quarantine exemption to go straight to South Australia to visit a dying relative. Victorian authorities say they had sent an email but South Australia says they weren't aware of the woman until she self-presented at Adelaide Airport. Western Australian Premier Mark McGowan says errors were made by all involved in the handling of a livestock ship, Al Kuwait, which was at the centre of a new COVID-19 outbreak in Perth. Federal Agriculture Minister David Littleproud disputes all claims made that his department didn't warn Western Australian health authorities about the risk of COVID-19 on the ship, citing an email sent a week before the ship docked. This email noted some sick crew members, though it also said there was no concern they had COVID-19. 34 crew members are now in isolation in hospital and 56,000 sheep are stranded in Perth awaiting transportation. In the wake of COVID-19, stopping the printing of hundreds of community newspapers, News Corp has decided to move most of their regional titles online, stopping printed publications permanently. The company says there will be job losses, but they have not said how many. A small number of papers will cease to be printed altogether. Instead, coverage of these communities will be done by a masthead covering a wider area. Johns Hopkins University says the United States has now seen over 100,000 COVID-19 deaths, representing around 28% of the global total. Most of these deaths come from clusters along the East Coast, with New York seeing over 29,000 deaths on its own. America has the largest death toll globally, with the next highest toll being the United Kingdom, which has reported over 37,500 deaths. 
A 750 billion euro recovery fund has been proposed by the European Union to help with the economic fallout of COVID-19, though it will need the support of all 27 union members to become reality. The fund would be made up of grants and loans from all member nations to be given out to the worst impacted countries. The plan has received backing from the EU heavyweights France, Germany, Italy and Spain, though it may face some pushback from the northern countries. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Perhaps the best known episode of The Simpsons in Australia is the classic Bart versus Australia. Now, for those that haven't seen it or have forgotten, it starts with Bart trying to figure out why the toilet only spins one way after realizing that Maybe the Coriolis effect, which is what controls water spinning, is different in the Southern Hemisphere. He tricks an Australian kid into taking a collect call where the person you call has to pay. Naturally, this turns into a whole heap of trouble and the State Department gets involved. As I'm sure you remember, in the late 1980s, the U.S. experienced a short-lived infatuation with Australian culture. For some bizarre reason, the Aussies thought this would be a permanent thing. Of course it wasn't. Anyway, the down-under fad fizzled and the diplomatic climate turned absolutely frosty. That's the late, great Phil Hartman, who also played Lionel Hutz. You know, they're showing cultural exports like Crocodile Dundee, Koala Blue, and, of course, Yahoo Serious. The late 80s and early 90s was a huge time for Australian cultural awareness in the United States, but that's faded over time. And it's got me thinking about how we can accomplish this in the future. And so I'm continuing our discussion with Justin O'Connor from the University of South Australia. It, it sounds like, if, if I can generalize extremely broadly, that it sounds like a lot of other countries are realizing that industry is industry, whereas in Australia, it's seen as arts and not so much as an industry because f- for some reason, <laughs> I couldn't even uh, well, begin to speculate I, I, I think. No, I would say it, it. I would say that they they do recognise it as they did call it an industry, um, but they they have no capacity for an industrial strategy. Uh, I mean, this is and this is the this is the problem. Um, you know, uh, Australia's economic policy over the last thirty years, since certainly since the well, perhaps even the bit early nineties with Keating, but has been continued uh, since, has been basically finance and extraction. Uh, they've they give it. There are you know they, they there is no industry policy as grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, mm. and so that's that's been given away. Hence, manufacturers gone. Hence, there's been there's been there's no real um, uh, renewables industry in any in any real sense. Uh, some of the you know advanced manufacturers kind of bubbling away somewhere, but there's been no industry policy. Um, it's um, and so. It's not that it's not so much that oh we call them the arts um, and they should be called industry. It's just that there is no capacity for a, a concerted industry policy, and and that that would also apply in the UK as well. Um, it's only in the last two years that they int- introduced a, an industry policy document because they've been kind of ideologically opposed to the idea of the industry strategy mm. uh, for many years, for forty years. So. Um, it, it's it's really it's it's really about the capacity of the state, uh, the federal level, uh, to deliver on any kind of strategy that's at, at, at the at the heart of it. Really, uh, 
I mean, they do. There is an emphasis on the arts, but of course, that's a declining funding. You know, the it's only it's the states that are kind of keeping many of the arts sector going. Uh, certainly, uh, they were up till the point where the the virus hit. Mm. And we were hearing stories like uh, major companies like Opera Australia uh, being in such a dire financial situation that they were looking at selling some of their buildings because they were they needed money any way that they could get it. Yeah, yeah, uh, and well, and of course, the Carriage Works in Sydney that was a, that's a famously, you know, one of the first casualties. But I think uh, uh, before this is over, uh, you'll see a lot more of that happening. It's already happening at the small scale level. Um, some, yeah. of the, some of the Melbourne theatres uh, I'm hearing are really struggling. Mm. Um, so uh, we, what, what's going to happen? You know, we, we're not going to get full audiences till the end of the year. Or am I being optimistic? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really, um, it's really, obviously, it's really problematic there. But I, I mean, my 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 particular interest is that it's it's the 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 art sector has, and cultural sector has really kind of run hard with the idea of um, you know we're worth X million billion dollars. Mm. One of the figures being used at the moment is we, it's it adds 111 billion dollars to the economy, and and yet that doesn't seem to cut through anywhere. Um, you know, it's kind of oh yeah. Uh, and yet the government, certainly the, the the federal government, is completely immune to those kind of arguments, which is mm. odd. And um, so, you know, what what to, to my mind, what we need to think about is a different way of thinking about what arts, culture, creative industries are, um, yeah. and make them much more part of, let's say, everyday life than a, some kind of fast-growing, mm. dynamic economic sector. Well, you can see it in Melbourne. This has me thinking about the performing arts. So um, about a week before we went into lockdown, I went to go see Benjamin Law's new play. I think it's called Torch This Place, or it's something very similar to that. Right. And it was a, a packed house. New Australian work, um, really daring in some ways, really confronting in others. Um packed house at the art center in the Fairfax studios, which is one of the medium sized spaces there. But on my way there, I went past um, a number of theaters and, you know, these are the large commercial ones that are playing things like come from away or the Harry Potter show, musical, whatever. Um, And there are gigantic crowds flooding into an already busy CBD. And you've got those different levels. Like I'm not a big fan of a jukebox musical, but, People who go really love it, and that's supporting people in that industry directly. And so it—it's almost like the more that you have, it starts creating its own audience. And you know, you're setting patterns for people that instead of just going home and watching TV, you know, once every yeah. couple of months they go out and and see something, whether it's challenging or not. Yeah. No, I think I think that's exactly right, and and it, it's about. It's a, it's about providing the, a, a, a very mixed and you know it's very complex and diff- multi-leveled cultural service, if you like, mm-hmm. for a for a for a large population in in what we consider to be a, a prosperous city, you know, yeah. and it's part of what you know let's call it a civilized life, um, and I, and I think if you look at places like London and New York, the you know the, that's been hit very badly recently, of course, but you know a place like London. 
Um, you know, one of the reasons why it's, a, if you like, a creative industry capital, it's another, is because it's got this huge arts and cultural offer, whether that's live music, you know, um, underground clubs all the way through to your opera houses. It's got this large cultural offer and it's been sustained by government investment. And they get something like three or four times what the rest of the UK get put into London, uh, which is another issue entirely. But, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it's it really uh, it's about public investment into into what's a, a service. And of course, that's an e it is an economy, you know, the kind of mm. lives that are sustained by the performing arts, but also, you know, uh, screening TV, you know, they involve actors and filmmakers and a whole range of skills as we all know but, you, know, you know this this sustains people's livelihood so it's, it is an economy but the purpose is not to grow that economy necessarily it's a it's part of the service like health or education or other social services it's part of what we should expect in a livable city mm. it, you know in australia and my experience is based mostly in Melbourne because I've lived here um, since I came to Australia what, 11, 12 years ago. Um, it, Melbourne's always punched above its weight on a global cultural scale. One of the first uh, bestsellers of sort of the Victorian era was The Mystery of a Handsome Cab, written by Fergus Hume. It's set entirely in Melbourne. Um, and then, you know, we had Nellie Melba, who you know, she has desserts named after her. <laughs> Yeah. world famous at that time the world's first feature film which was i think the true story of the kelly gang it was something about ned kelly you right. know there's always been this sort of thing that's going on but it seems i don't know it it seems like it hasn't entered the popular consciousness that our artists are above and beyond well it's um i think it's i i i I'm not sure. It's, there was always that uh, big rivalry, wasn't there, between Melbourne and Sydney? Um, and you know, from my from my knowledge, I've been in Australia now for 12 years, but I, you know, people are telling me that in the in the 70s, the place to be was Sydney. You know, 70s mm -hmm. and 80s, it, it the happening place. You know, it, it passes back and forwards, but very definitely since the mid 90s uh, and onwards, uh, the the kind of momentum's passed back to. Um, to Melbourne, mm. and uh, one of the things we found was that uh, the, the, this rapid rise of let's call them cultural freelancers—that uh, wasn't—they were all being—they're all moving from the regions mm -hmm. into Melbourne and Sydney. But it was Melbourne that was capturing, if that's the right word, the most of them. Mm. So it's it's it, it. There's no doubt in my mind that um, Melbourne is a kind of cultural capital of Australia, made worse, of course, by the uh, the. the rapid commercialization of all public space in Sydney, <laughs> yeah. you know and of course with of course the disastrous um other kind of lockout laws you know mm. the uh the the decision made by uh in it was about three or four years ago uh about um bars and clubs there which mm -hmm. was astonishing if uh i when i first went to sydney after that it was last year i, I was shocked um i became a patriotic melbourneian how can you put me out to a restaurant at 10 30 at night you know mm. so um but I, I think you know i think the state government the victorian state government really sees it you know that it's part of what melbourne is both for its own population but also it's 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 image 
globally, if you like it, yeah. and its ability to to to, to operate on the on the global scale, and that's why it's invested, you know, serious public money into this sector, which is what what you should do, just like you would do with rail, uh, with hospitals, with education, with other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and it, it it's um, I'm not saying it should be state funded. I'm saying it's the the state has got to fund some of it to stimulate some of the rest. Yeah. So. It's um, you know it's part of what a, a, a contemporary city should offer really, and uh, so the the I think the state government, the current state government, has really got that. Um, it's just that um, I think some of the other cities are not quite getting it for various reasons. Adelaide I think has gone off the boil. Mm. It had a real strong offer around its festivals, which is still great. You know, it's got you know everything can be improved, but you know it's got these festivals. But the state government there, the in South Australia seems to think, oh, creative industries is the way forward, and they're something completely different from the arts somehow. So it's, um, you know, it's very different in the different states. Mm. But I think uh, fundamentally it should be acknowledging that, you know, these are part of the, let's call it the essential infrastructure of a city. Yeah. Um, that's what that's what cities offer. And, and the public, uh, public authority, if you like that, have a, a role in providing some of that, not all of it. It's a lot of it should be private sector or community, not for profit. But it's beginning to understand how it, how that how that provision is made. That's what we I think need to do more of in our Australia. Hmm. And in South Australia, they even put the festival state on their number plates. Yes, uh, and and obviously they're still investing it, but somehow this is separate from the creative industries. Um, um, so it's it, it, back to what we talked about right at the very beginning, the, the, the idea of the creative industries, it kind of sounds attractive for a cultural sector that's always looking for, you know, more recognition from government, you know, all creative, it's, it's economic, it's a bit kind of, um, you know, a bit dynamic. But in the end, I think just calling it creative industry actually does more damage than good mm. because it, once you paint yourself into the corner of we're a fast-growing dynamic industry um what about those artists who aren't earning anything what about the performing arts sector that's not kind of wiping its feet as they say uh what what about that sector that's not growing very well do we Mm. get rid of them Mm. you know so it's it's a very kind of a double-edged sword to argue on those grounds so yes it's an economy it, it can, in some cases, a very big economy, as we've tr- heard over the last few months, people saying, you know, but the job of the cultural sector is not to provide jobs, mm. even though it does. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Thanks, Frock. Much appreciated. That's it for us today. I'd like to thank Nicholas Kamenu-Sandry, Emily Johnson, Dee Mason, Rachel Tyler-Jones, Jordan Johnstone, and everyone at the Community Radio Network for their production, help, assistance, and just being nice to work with. I'm your host and executive producer, Arian Potts, and we'll be back tomorrow. Mahalo. And we'll be back tomorrow. Mahalo. Let's go outside. 
in the sunshine. I know you want to, but you can't say yes. Oh, I love a bit of George Michael. Hi, everyone. It's the fabulously furry Frock Hudson here. Now, I know what you're thinking. Restrictions are starting to ease depending on where you are in the country. Some of you have great things and cinemas to go to. Some of you can only go to a drive-thru. Some of you have the opportunity to have five people in your very own house. But entertainment is still happening virtually and we still have to keep physically distancing. So I'm back again with your weekly update of what's happening online for your LGBTIQA plus Australian streaming entertainment, streaming all around the country into your very own device right into your home. Now I'm going to dive straight into the list because there's so much going on, I'm not going to be able to squeeze it all in. But I want to stress that all the times I'm giving you are Australian Eastern Standard Times. So if you're facing any other time zone, please do maths accordingly because I'm not going to. It's going to be as many events as I can squeeze in, but there's plenty more going on and you can check them all out on my Facebook page. Just look for Frog Hudson. Let's dive into Friday. Betty Grumble kicks things off at 10am with a Grumble Boogie. She's been doing this every single day. It's a great way to start the day and to dance away your blues. Then on the Q News Facebook page, we've got Diamonds Drag Queen Storytime. It's fun for the whole family and really entertaining. Then from 1.30, catch the lunchtime lockdown with Penny Tration and DJ Dan Murphy. It's a camp old time and a great way to mix things up on your lunch. Then at 5pm, the National Association of People Living with HIV Australia have a fantastic online space for people living with HIV to have a yarn and unwind hosted by the fabulous Vanessa Wagner. This week, the special guest will be Christopher Brett Reese, who's a dynamic psychosexual therapist, health educator, and sexual health and HIV researcher. Now, if you want to find out more details and register to be a part of that, you're going to have to look for the National Association of People Living with HIV. Easy thing to do, just head to Facebook and type in NAPWA. That's N-A-P-W-H-A. Do you know how many times I had to type that in until I figured that out? And from 7pm, Unicorns Dating and Friendship is bad the online way to connect with your queer rainbow family. People missed out last time on this fabulous online dating event, so it's happening again. Throughout this romantic super sweet evening, you go on a series of dates on Zoom with unicorn attendees from all over the place. You're paired off completely randomly and then you get to have a bit of a conversation and meet a potential new pen pal, lover or friend, no matter their gender, sexuality or identity. Go and have a fantastic time. And of course, there's so much more going on all throughout the evening. Heaps Gay and Create or Die, Lance TV, Lexi Gaga, dive right into it. Then on Saturday, it's the usual shenanigans with Queer Space and Fearless Movement Collective kicking off in the morning with some exercise. Antidepressant from 2pm doing Drag Queen Storytime, but the DJs do take over. You can get your Camp 90s on with DJ Dan Murphy and so many more, giving you five hours of the best music of one of my favourite decades, the 90s. Tropical Fruits are back and they're bringing their live stream into a monthly event with DJ Lady K. Serving up sweet tunes from 6pm. Don't forget about Piano Bar Geelong. Stonewall Hotel are doing live from Stonewall. It's one of their last ones, so be sure to check it out at stonewall.live. 
Don't forget about the Vixens over at Vodevile Drag Cabaret. They've got some great streaming every Friday and Saturday night. And then Bar Kylie is back for Kylie's birthday with special performances and great tunes by DJ Argonaut and Millie Minogue over on the Bar Kylie Twitch. We should be so lucky, 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 lucky. Dean Arcuri brings you the cheekiest trivia in town, Trivial Hasuit Triple X. Straight into your home, it's the trivia like he used to do at the Laird, wink, wink, nunch, nudge, with all of the cheeky fun, and you can see all the details at deanarcuri.com. Melbourne Rubber are getting their shiny Zoom Saturday night on with a live online geared up catch up, because Rubber's more fun with friends, and don't forget about Poof Doof, dancing your night away from 9pm until very late, and this week it's Planet Poof Doof, and I believe everyone's looks at their homes are going to be out of this world. Then on Sunday, we've got online men's nude yoga from 11 o'clock, Betty Grumble of course from 10am, N dives onto the decks with Colada Sundays from 1pm all the way till 6, a great way to boogie and a fantastic DJ from Brisbane. All the Queen's Men's Digital Dance Club is back from 4pm bringing your rainbow community all together for a boogie and connection. You've got awesome tunes by DJ Lauren Nico with Our House of Love from 6pm. There's also DJ Kate Munro on her Twitch from 5pm. The Laird Hotel have Sunday Social. Piano Bajalong has great performances with Pitch Please. And don't forget about Hans the German for Hans House Arrest on Facebook Live. This week's guests are Annabelle Crabb and Sam Mack. There's so much going on and I know I've just skimmed the top of the fabulous virtual cappuccino. So if you want to check out more, head to my Facebook page for all of the details. Remember, times are Australian Eastern Standard Time. And why not get out of the house, do some exercise and remember to connect with your community. Just because you're physically distancing doesn't mean that you're alone. And the virtual space means we can talk, dance and celebrate our queer hearts and souls. This has been What's Happening This Weekend with Frog Hudson and I'll be back with you next week here on the Informer Daily. Keep virtual and keep partying. Thanks, Frock. Much appreciated. That's it for us today. I'd like to thank Nicholas Kamenu-Sandry, Emily Johnson, Dee Mason, Rachel Tyler-Jones, Jordan Johnstone, and everyone at the Community Radio Network for their production, help, assistance, and just being nice to work with. I'm your host and executive producer, Arian Potts, and we'll be back tomorrow. Mahalo.
The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. For listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.